Would you tell me a funny story from your childhood? Embarrassing, not embarrassing, whatever you want to do. Right um, sure. Well, I guess, okay, so I've never broken a bone before in my life except for one time, and I broke my collarbone. And it was because my brother and I had never been on top of the refrigerator, and we never, we didn't know what it looked like, so I decided I was going to climb on top of the refrigerator. And so I got up there, and then my mom came, and I got scared, and I, like, froze up, and I fell off the refrigerator, <laughs> and I broke my collarbone. So your mom basically broke your collarbone for you. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm here with Caroline Ickes, and the goal of this podcast is to actually just share a story about another normal human that's doing some um, extra normal or extraordinary stuff. Um, I know Carrie, she was in our youth group for a couple years, and uh, she's now off at college. So Caroline, Carrie, I'll probably refer to you as both. Welcome, and um, it's the Firekeep podcast, and I just want, I want you guys out there to get inspired and uh, just hear a story about another person and what they're doing to help change the world. Um, so tell me um, where you are now, what you're doing, just with your personal life before we get into the ministry stuff. Okay. Well, um, I'm at Virginia Tech right now, and I'm in my sophomore year, and um, I'm a communication and international studies double major with a Spanish minor, and I hope to go on afterwards, possibly to uh, law school to study human rights. Um, and I'm involved in a couple of organizations at um, Virginia Tech, Project Esperanza, and um, NLCF, New Life Christian Fellowship, which is the church that I go to, and I lead a home group in my um, church, which is kind of like a youth group, so it takes up a lot of my time, but I love it, and uh, so that's about it. Cool. So you have a, a close group of friends that kind of common vision, working together? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, Talk about um, someone from history or church history that has had a profound influence on your life, just from their story, someone that's inspired you. Well, um, let's see, someone from history. Um, I'm pretty inspired with um, Africa. I really want to go there at some point. But um, I've been reading a lot about Nelson Mandela and his work in South Africa. And um, I know he's not a religious person, but... um, just what he was able to accomplish through himself and um, through the politics there uh, just really inspires me um, with my I'm really interested in politics and international politics and that's one of the people that I kind of look up to. Cool. Um, You've started caring for children in the Dominican Republic and um, can you tell me what started this all for you and how you got there your first trip and kind of um, the synopsis of, of what's unfolding for you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, about two years ago, I um, did a program with AmeriCorps um, called Energy Express, and it basically taught reading and writing to underprivileged kids um, in West Virginia. It was a day program from about 8 to 12. We gave them breakfast and lunch. and. Um, taught them how to read and write, people who were behind in school. So I had that background, and then when I went off to um, school, I had heard about this project um, called Project Esperanza, and they were, had been serving in a Dominican orphanage, and then had gone, um, left that project and went out to Puerto Plata to serve out in the Dominican community. And they just really um, had seen the need for a lot of Haitian um, street kids who were orphaned, living on the street, working, and um, weren't allowed to go to school and um, really saw that as a need. So they wanted to start up a program where they were tutoring these kids and reading and writing. 
So when I heard about that, I really thought, you know, here I've already had this background, this training of how to teach kids uh, how to read and write. So it just seemed like something that really was fit for me, um, especially since I've been studying Spanish and um, really thought I could give to that. So I signed up to go with the project, really not knowing much about the situation, the country. Um, decided to go in January. And over January, about 10 January 07. Yes, January 07. Um, 10 students went down as just kind of a leadership body of the organization to try to get a feel for how, how it was going and the future of the project. So the 10 of us went down and um, started tutoring about uh, 40 to 50 Haitian boys who would come into our house. We had built um, relationships with the previous summer. And they came in and we did about an hour to two hour tutoring session with each of the kids, teaching them how to read and write in Spanish, English, and Creole, whichever they um, preferred and just focused on um, really just serving them and educating them um, and helping them out because as street kids, um, most of them are orphaned, um, living on their own. Some of them are living in bad situations with just random people in a, a Haitian ghetto. But either way, they can't go to school because they don't have papers. Um, they're not Dominican citizens and they don't have their Haitian uh, transcripts. So they, um, their education has been stopped and they basically are identifiless in the country. And um, we just really wanted to focus on them and um, just serve them so they could figure out you know, who they are and what their passions were and um, just build them up as strong um, individuals. And um, so that's what I did in January. And at that point, then we saw a need that a lot of these kids were sleeping on the street. Um, one of the, there were about three kids who would come to our house about 7.30 every morning, which was incredibly early and I didn't want to be up that early and kind of resented them <laughs> for that. But um, one night when we were walking down by the beach, we saw those three boys sleeping by a bush. And uh, we asked our friend, you know, hey, what is this? And they said, that's where they sleep every night because they had a boss who had purchased them um, in Haiti. Purchased them. Purchased them for about uh, 500 pesos each. And um, their parents willingly sold them to this man because they thought that they would have better um, economic opportunity in uh, the Dominican Republic. And so these escape. were Haitian kids who were sold to a Dominican national? Right. And um, they really just, the situation in Haiti is so bad that they thought, you know, they're going to end up either dying or starving. So it would be better if they went to the Dominican Republic. And in Haiti, they have a lot of um, visions about the Dominican Republic. They think it's a whole lot better, you know, the situation's a lot better. Um, kind of unrealistic expectations. So anyways, these kids were sold and their boss actually ended up, um, he was beating them and taking parts of their money. So they uh, escaped from him, went to a different town, it's where they are now in Puerto Plata, and have no home, no relations to anyone, just the three of the boys who came over um, together. So they were sleeping on the street and it just, I mean, it broke our hearts because you know, these are kids that we worked with every day. And that's the reason why they came at 7.30 in the morning is because they had to get up when everyone else was and they couldn't be seen there. Otherwise, um, the police would take them in. So we just really saw that these kids needed a place to go. And uh, we had the house. So we let them stay in our house the three days we had left in the Dominican on our trip. And um, at that point, then we saw about three more that really were in terrible situations and needed a place too. So at the end of the trip, we had six boys who had stayed in our house, and we wanted to figure out what to do with them. And um, one of our friends, Bernard, a Haitian, um, offered to come and stay with the kids in our house. And so that's how we left it when we left in January. Okay, when you refer to your house, can you tell me, like, um, is this a house that you guys started for your, your 
outreach there or what's the scenario surrounding the house? Um, when the project was started, they had originally worked with a project called Dominican Outreach. And um, as that ended last summer, the house became available for rent and um, the one that they had stayed in. So we um, started a lease last summer at this house in Puerto Plata. And that's the house that we have right now. We have a um, lease for about two years now and uh, on it. And that's where the volunteers mainly stay. Mm -hmm. But now it's become a house for the kids. Cool. Um, so the nutshell is that there are some Haitian parents who kind of see um, the Dominican Republic as a chance for a better life for their kids and unknowingly end up selling them basically into slave labor is what, what can happen? Yes, um, I mean that's a situation with some of the boys. Um, some weren't sold, they just willingly um, crossed the border. Crossed the border. Um, some of our, I mean most of our kids they say they walked for five days, three days um, by themselves with a cousin. Um, some were sold, some came over with family members. Every case is different, but we have seen some where they have been sold. But it, it's predominantly Haitian children that are on their own, fending for themselves. Right, yes. Um, actually, the statistic is there's up to almost a million, maybe two million um, Haitians living in the Dominican Republic. Of all ages? Right, of all ages. Um, legally or illegally? or Mostly illegally, because um, the border is pretty fluid and um, the, the Dominican Republic wants some of them to come over to work in the sugarcane fields. They won't tell their citizens that, but they actually open the border for sugarcane workers. But with that um, openness comes a lot of other illegal immigrants into the country. And they're all, I mean, they're fleeing political persecution, you know, economic situation for many reasons decide to cross the border. I, I mean, I've, I've been to Haiti. Our, our church has a, um, an organization they're affiliated with there. So. I've seen the condition of the country and I can understand why someone would leave. There's there's nothing there for them. I mean, um, I can't even describe it. A photo is the only way that can describe it, so I totally understand. Um, how many kids did you just see or encounter on average in, in a day that may be in that same kind of situation? Um, about 50, I would say. Um, every day. Just in that local community yeah, you were at. And um, that is mainly the central area of Puerto Plata where those um, 50 kids are working. That's where um, we began our relationship. And, with them. and by working, describe what most of them would be responsible for doing. Right. Um, during the day, most of them either shine shoes or sell sweets or um, sugarcane on the street. Most are shoe shiners, and they have little wooden boxes with um, shoe shining material in it, and they just shine Dominican men's um, shoes on the street. So if you're look, walking through Puerto Plata, you would encounter. I mean. 20 to 30 kids, you know, just sitting out on a street corner asking if you want a shoe shine, and others have um, <coughs> bowls of sweets that they sell um, and eggs, which they um, their bosses provide them. They have to put down like a payment of 10 pesos every day to get them, and if they sell all of it, then they get to keep that. If they don't, then they lose that 10 pesos. But um, so some kids sell eggs and dulces but um, most shoeshine. Okay, and then there, there are probably some bosses who are fair to the kids and some that aren't, I suppose. Right, right. Um, some of them are pretty, I mean, pretty good bosses and help them out. There was um, one situation when we went down in spring break, we encountered an Italian man who was taking in um, teenage boys and having them um, do labor in his house during the day and then having them do sexual favors for him at night. And okay. um, two of those boys, we ended up um, 
taking into our house and talking to the Italian man and he um, willingly let them go so he's living with they're living with us now good um, and that this may be the story I don't know but it may be something totally different I was gonna ask you next to just talk about one of one of your boys and I'll call them your boys mm -hmm. you know um, one of one of your boys either that you know you just you love their sense of humor whatever it is something that stood out or something about their story that captured captured you um, well I would definitely say Louie um, he is, I think he's about 13. All of them um, lie about their ages because if they say that they're older, they get more respect on the street. And then they've been working in uh, malnutrition, so they're smaller too. So you never know how old they are. But I think he's about 13. And um, he is just this like little skinny boy, long gangly arms and legs, but he is crazy. And when we first met him, he reminded us of Rafiki from The Lion King because he would just, you know, kind of uh, sway about and um, run about. And so we asked the other kids, um, we were like, oh, you know, why is, why is Louis so crazy? And they were like, oh, he's crazy at night. And we, and we were like, why? And they were like, oh, that's so other people will leave him alone. And so he learned to just become crazy at night so that nobody would bother him. That's that funny. You know, David him. David in the Bible actually pretended to be insane so an enemy an enemy would leave him alone. That's yeah, kind of neat. That's exactly <laughs> Louie. And so we would walk down the street and he would walk about 20 feet ahead of us just dancing and singing and just like carrying on to himself. And Dominicans would just look <laughs> at him, you know. But it worked. Definitely worked. And when we were working, Working with him to do the alphabet, he'd be like, "Can you say A?" You know, and he'd be like, "Ah!" and just make noises and just like animal noises, and it was really funny. So he was one of the boys who was sleeping on um, by the bush at night. So we took him in. He was one of the first kids who started coming to us, and um, so when we came over um, for spring break and um, returned to see the kids, Louie was just a changed person. He wasn't as crazy, but he was still as fun. But it was because he didn't have to be, you know, had that security of being crazy. But um, he was hysterical and just really, like, loving. He loved to listen to Wyclef because Wyclef's a Haitian. And uh -huh. so he would dance in, um, in a room listening to Wyclef by himself. And um, one night we were talking to Bernard, the man who watches over them, and asking about Louie. And he said that Louis's mom um, had beaten him so bad when he lived in Haiti, um, had hit him on the head so bad that he can't actually um, see very well. And when he's reading and he can't focus, his eyesight was damaged because she hit him so Man. hard. And um, so his mom was just really abusive, wouldn't feed him. And so he actually chose to leave. And um, one of his relatives was the one who sold him to come over here. And that, you know, just broke my heart to hear that about him. But he's the cutest kid because then he also, he used to shine shoes. And, um, and so one day he was like, do you want a shoe shine? And he was just kidding. And he was um, playing with our feet and he would smack our feet because our skin turns red and his doesn't. And uh -huh. he really liked that. So that was like his shoe shine. He was like, do you want a shoe shine? You know, <laughs> shoe shine. And so he just smack us. And one day he went up to our friend JP and he was like, you want a shoe shine? And he was um, pull, like, uh, pushing JP's uh, hair over from his forehead, like cleaning off his forehead, and we thought it was going to be great. And all of a sudden he went away and just whapped at his forehead and shoe-shined him on the face and smacked <laughs> him straight in the forehead. So that's our joke now is, do you want to shoe-shine? But um, just the cutest kid and really just have seen him like mature and sweeten up um, in the time that he's been in our house because he's not scared, you know, of living by himself anymore. Oh, that's awesome to see a transition in that short amount of time, yeah, really, you know? Definitely, definitely. Um, 
in your perspective, and I know your perspective may change over time, but what do you see the biggest um, challenge facing the inhabitants of Hispaniola, um, either from the Dominican perspective or what you've observed of the Haitian perspective? What's the biggest challenge you see facing them? Well, I think that there's um, this incredible discrimination between the two cultures. Um, I know that in the Dominican, um, the Dominicans look down upon the Haitians because of a lot of historical situations that the government has caused this discrimination, but now they see these kids who are darker skin color, um, who have seemed to be very violent because Haiti's past is violent and, they, and the Haitians see that that's how you get change, you know, in violent nature. So the Dominicans are scared of them, um, just fearful of them, and out of that becomes a lot of discrimination. And I know that within the Dominican Republic, I mean, these kids, when they're walking around the street, we get a lot of yells, you know, take those monkeys back, they're trash, you know, um, a lot of horrible, horrible stuff. And um, it's ridiculous because these people are living in poverty too, and mm -hmm. they can't see the need um, to help out, you know, their fellow human being who's in poverty as well, just because they have a different skin color, nationality, you know. And um, I know that compared to America, I mean, the Dominicans are in such a bad situation. I mean, Americans right. have a lot of prejudice and discrimination against Dominicans, so it's it's hard that they can't see in this grand scheme of it that they should help each other. And I don't think it should be one country, but I think I, I want to see those two countries like living in harmony with mm -hmm. each other and cohabitating and just cooperating and in the international community helping each other, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, helping them out because right now it's just they're fighting against each other and making each of the situations worse, worse you know understood um, you've talked about education what kind of role do you see education playing in improving the quality of life for both nations right um, I think that it's inc it's incredibly important to educate um, these boys and um, all the children in Haiti because and the Dominican, but it's this understanding um, that they need, to, I mean, to read and write, then they can stand on their own. I don't, we don't want to be able, you know, be supporting them forever. We want to help them help themselves, you know. Right. Um, but definitely, I think they need to have an understanding of the history and the politics that has gone on as well, because I want them to know when they're being discriminated and these Dominicans are yelling these hateful things to them, I want them to know why these Dominicans are having these feelings why it's not true, you know, how it's, it's not, it's not true and it's not about them, you know, and so that they could have this understanding, this education, so that they can look that person in the face, tell them that they're wrong, and then just walk on by, mm -hmm. you know, because I think out of ignorance breeds a lot of, like, hatred towards right. these people because they don't understand why. In all cultures. It. Right, and yep. so we really just want to, uh, that's one thing we're going to do in the summer, is we really just want to give them a history and an understanding of, you know, why, why this problem exists and you know how they can peacefully change it from within that's cool i mean i think from a, a neutral third party perspective you could probably do that realistically mm -hmm. just by reviewing history that's that's an interesting way to approach it um all right and i know pr this project esperanza which esperanza you said means hope hope okay um and um talk about what your immediate plans are, like what you guys are doing, let's say, this summer or over the next year in 2007, and then what your ultimate goal is, and I'm sure you're, you'll have more people on board, and that's part of the goal of this, is I'd like to, you know, you guys have uh, initiated the process to get your 501c3, that's in the works, um, and so my goal would be to, you know, help you guys whatever we can. We have close to 10,000 people now on the podcast. Hopefully some of these guys will jump in and be able to do something, because it's, I mean, you're, how old are you? 
Um, 20. 20, okay, so you're 20, you got 20, 20 somethings, you all banded together and just are doing this together. So what do you see as um, now, immediately, and then in the future, what your plans are? Right, well, um, now, since we've really seen this need for this um, well, orphanage, kind of hate that word, but <laughs> boys home um, for these kids, we um, want to get a new house um, for the boys to live in and um, so that the volunteers can have a place to stay free from the kids. Um, so in this summer what we are trying to do is buy a piece of land in the Haitian ghetto and um, build a house because we have a lot of um, engineers without borders that are wanting to come in. We have some architects who work with us at Virginia Tech. Um, as well as a lot of Haitian construction workers who will donate their time. Um, so we want to build a house on that land where the boys can live and we can also have a community center for the um, rest of the Haitian community. And uh, want to try to come up with a clean drinking water system so that we can provide clean drinking water to the rest of the neighborhood because right now um, there isn't a clean, a purified um, city water, they have to have trucks come in and most people can't pay for that so they don't have clean water they're drinking out of basically the sewers. Um, so that's what we want to do this summer and we're going to start working on that and then as far as the kids we want to continue to have um, a place for them to stay and continue to do a tutoring program. However we have connected um, about 35 kids to a Haitian school um, in their neighborhood where they're taught Creole, French, and Spanish. Awesome. And, uh, so you're getting local support as well. Right. And so within, we work with this one church um, in the Haitian um, neighborhood who they um, wanted to start up a school, so we help them out. It's, they do it in their church, and they have uh, four teachers who we fund um, and help support. So Project Esperanza is helping fund local teachers teach right. the children. Exactly. Um, these teachers had actually gone three months without pay, and uh, we're willing to do it you know, without pay, but we wanted to um, support them and really bless them. So 35 of our kids are now enrolled in that school as well as other kids that we don't um, work with. And they have uniforms um, because in the Dominican Republic every um, legitimate school has uniforms. So it was a really big step was to get everyone uniforms and we helped get that going. And then um, about 10 of our boys are now going to a Dominican night school where they learn Spanish because um, the Padre Ganera school only goes up to a certain level of education. And at that point, um, they right now they can't really go on so it's important that we find another outlet for these kids. So we got them into a Dominican school and we want to um, incorporate more um, intercultural um, relations between the Dominicans and the Haitians. And then we're also working with a third church, um, Susana Sanchez, and she is a Dominican um, woman. And she, we built a school over the winter break, helped her um, build a school, and we want to have Haitian and Dominicans go to that school as well. So we want to just, over the summer, help connect our boys out with whichever school is going to work best. Great. Well, I mean, I think it's awesome that you're getting local support and they're seeing the value of what you guys are doing because with locals there, I mean, that if you if you get the buy-in, that will be a big part to your longevity. Right. Um, Okay. Um, oh, well, long-term, long yeah. I didn't talk about that, but long-term, um, we really just want to be a constant influence in these boys' lives um, so that they can stop, we kind of relinquish that survival mentality and know that we're always going to help them, we're always going to, you know, they have a place to stay, they will have food and, you know, get education so they can start providing for themselves. But um, we just really want to empower these boys with a sense of um, 
peacefulness and patience so that when in education so that in the future they can um, start up change from within because it's not going to be us you know saying you all need to see each other as equals but it's going to be uh, the youth coming up and making this change so we hope to just create peaceful you know individuals who can and educated individuals who can bring up this change so we hope that's what happens in the future awesome sounds like a very noble undertaking a big one but i think you're <laughs> up for the challenge um Talk about Esper Project Esperanza's greatest need right now. Right, um, right now is really this boys' home that we're working on. Um, we have a lot of faith that's going to happen. I mean, God has just really just like laid it out there. That this is what needs to happen, and given us these opportunities to see it come about. But um, so we're just starting to uh, fundraise for that and try to get as much as we can because it's not. I mean, maybe in a year, yeah, we can have more funds, but it's like it, it's a need right now, and we're going to do it. You know, whether probably whether or not we have as much as we need, but um, that is definitely the greatest need is the boys' home. Cool. Um, how how soon do you think you may have that started? Um, we're hoping to buy property by the end of, I mean, by the beginning of the summer, so okay. that during the summer when we have volunteers coming down, they can work half of the day with the boys and half the day on the school or wherever. I mean, everybody serves in different ways, and if they really want to do um, hard labor, we hope that we can provide them with some opportunity to start working on this school and cool. start getting going. Well, my dad wanted me to tell you, I don't even know if you ever met my dad, I don't remember, mm -hmm. but... He's been on several mission trips and work teams, and he mm -hmm. said if you have a project, he'll get a work team together. He's a contractor, mm -hmm. so um, he's, he'll get a work team together and come down and help. Awesome. So um, awesome. just send me an email or something. Um, all right, going back to you personally, um, it, it's really cool for me to see this. I mean, you were in my youth group, and I remember one night at camp uh, a few years ago you may not even remember the statement if you don't it's no big deal but you remember one night at camp i came over and sat beside you on the bench and i said something to you do you remember the general concept of what i said um i think so yeah i don't know want to refresh me yeah um i said i see a mothering spirit in you and um you know sometimes we hear things um spiritually speaking that we brush off and I had totally forgotten about that you know and I, you everybody has encounters like that where you feel like God's telling you to tell somebody something and um, you just go on about your life but it's really cool to see someone young full of energy and ready to take on the world but not just not for themselves because so many of us just get caught up in our life and I'm just just run with it. I'm so excited. I know, I mean, you have a good background from your family and um, you've been educated well and just run with it and I'm going to give you all the support I can. And uh, is there anything you want to add before we wrap this up? Um, um, I guess just pray for it. I mean, we're really just, we see what God wants us to do in this and uh, just, I mean, we got a lot of faith going on, but we just need a lot of prayer that, you know, um, he gives us like the wisdom and discernment to know, you know, what projects to take on and uh, just what to do with this. Cool. All right. Well, let's wrap it up with prayer on that note and we'll um, close it out. Uh, do you want to pray first or? Um, sure. All right. Alright, dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity just to talk about um, what's been going on and uh, what you've really just laid out there um, for us to do and laid upon my heart to pursue. But um, just thank you for um, Timothy and his willingness to help and uh, just pray for all those kids right now. Um, so I was thinking about them, just pray for their protection. And um, yeah, just thank you so much.
Father, you call yourself a father. And um, there are so many people throughout the world who are fatherless and motherless. God, I just ask you to rise up and raise up a generation not limited by age, God, but that will reach beyond their own need and see the needs of others that are in greater need and become those fathers and mothers that you need. So God, I ask you to continue to empower Carrie and her whole team. Just give them wisdom and, like she said, insight and discernment to know which which path to take and what things to undertake. And uh, I ask you, Lord, just to open the resources of heaven for her and put it at her disposal and the disposal of her team. So just do your work here in the earth god that your kingdom may come and that the earth may become like heaven in jesus name we ask amen all right carrie thank you and godspeed and uh what do we always say on fire keep fire keep keep the flame